It's the Inspiration Place Podcast Rewind with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place Podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there, my friend. It's Miriam Shulman here, your curator of inspiration, and you're listening to episode number 288. So I hope you had a absolutely beautiful holiday season. I'm recording this time travel a month before you're listening. And I just finished Thanksgiving, which is always super dysfunctional in terms of the eating because We're vegetarian, my husband, myself, and my daughter. My son is, as many of you have heard, is in Israel. And my sister and her family are very strict kosher. My mom doesn't eat anything, but that's a whole nother story. So, you know, we all have to get together and various different ways of eating. But it was fine. It was actually one of the loveliest Thanksgivings I've had in a long time. I think because there's just was so much love and acceptance around the table. So I hope that you are having a similar experience as well. I'm very sensitive to everything that's going on in the world right now. It's not political to me. This is very, very personal. And people in my community have said, Miriam, how come you haven't stepped up to say anything? How come we're not talking about it inside the artist incubator? And the truth is, is just I am not in the position yet to lead on this. That's really all I can say about that right now in this moment. I'm about to go on a retreat next week to Costa Rica. So I don't know if I'll be recording any more podcasts between now and then. Super excited for that. Of course, I'm going with a lot of trepidation. My husband has warned me not to surf. I didn't know that was going to be part of this. I looked at the itinerary and I saw yoga, mud baths, meditation and writing, and somehow I didn't read the word surfing. And I found out that there will be surfing. I do not think I will be participating in the surfing. My husband's like, you are not going to be surfing. You are going to be doing yoga and writing and that's it. And that is because he knows that I fall off my yoga mat even trying to hold tree pose. So surfing is definitely not in my future, but I'm definitely looking forward to doing some healing. And, you know, I was telling my friend the other day that I actually signed up for this for myself. I didn't sign up for it to make friends. So I kind of feel a little bit like that bitch on every reality show that they cut to the interview and she's saying, well, I didn't come here to make friends and fights with everyone. I I don't anticipate fighting with people. If I feel that I'm in a situation where I'm with somebody who doesn't understand where I'm coming from, I will remove myself from that situation. And in the group, if I don't feel that I'm safe, I will simply go under a tree and do my writing there and not participate in the group events. It'll be my own silent retreat. But hopefully that will not be the story. So In a few weeks or so, I'll be able to come back here and tell you all about it. And I'm hoping to report back that was an absolutely magical time. 
All right. So that is a lot more than I was planning on saying. That is what happens when I just hit the record button and just fly with it. But it's kind of this is this is my truth. I'm speaking to you as a friend, honestly and truthfully. Okay, so now for today's episode. Today's episode is super fun. What I did was I sat down with my team and we went through 2023 and we said, okay, let's pick out the best episodes of this year. And that was the only part that I collaborated with them. I said, okay, these are the ones that I feel were probably the best ones of 2023. But I gave my team permission just from that instruction to go forward and pick whatever they wanted, whatever snippets they wanted that they felt were their favorites from each episode. So I hope you're going to really enjoy this Inspiration Place Rewind of 2023. And by the way, I would love to hear from you. So although I will be off the grid when I'm in Costa Rica, that is in your past. My <laughs> time this goes air, goes live. When you're listening to this, I'll be hunkering down at my farmhouse and I have a lot of time in my hands then. So I would love to hear from you. If you want to reach out to me, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, I would love to hear from you. You can either email me, miriam at theinspirationplace.net. You can send me a DM over on Instagram at shulmanart. That's S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N-A-R-T. I'd love to hear from you there so we can connect. All right, my friend. So I hope you have a beautiful holiday. This is a very special time. The time in between Christmas and New Year's is the time between the years. And I always find this is the best time to reflect and set your intentions for 2024. So without further ado, here is my final thoughts from the best of 2023 to send you off into the new year. That's what I did. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to believe in your future. I want you to choose to believe that you are an artist or that you are an author or you are a poet or dancer. Or if you're none of those things, perhaps you're a successful life coach. Perhaps you are a psychic medium. You need to choose to believe that future that you most want to see. And you commit to that in writing. When you write something down, something really special happens. You activate both sides of your brain. You activate both your logical side and your emotional side, and they will both go to work in the background, helping you create that better reality from the place of belief, from the place where you don't have fear. You know that expression? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? When you choose to believe, you are acting from that place of choosing to believe that you can't fail. Now, that doesn't mean you won't fail along the way, but you believe that ultimately you will have success. Somebody asked me recently, well, what if I choose to believe and then what happens doesn't come true? You can change the deadline. Maybe it wasn't going to happen this year. Maybe it's happening next year. But you believe it so hard. You believe it in every fiber of your body that you know it's going to happen. Here's the thing. If you want to achieve fame, marginal claim, or just make a sustainable living or a hobby with your painting, your dance, your music, or sports, 
you got to do the one thing. You got to work at it. And then don't give up, even when it isn't easy. And if you want to sell your art and make a living from your art, same thing. You work on marketing it and don't give up, even when it becomes uncomfortable and difficult. I hear that all the time from people who say they'd like to create art, but they don't have any talent. Now, for those of you who want to make a thriving living from your art, who already have confidence in your art, you need to develop confidence in your marketing and know that it matters. Know that this matters and that being awesome is not good enough. It's not good enough just to be awesome. And by awesome, I mean good at your craft. You have to market it. It is important to put in the marketing and develop the right mindset to be a thriving artist. As we've been discussing today, life like a canvas offers endless possibilities, but building your life like a work of art requires intention, vision, and action. Many of us artists understand this metaphor in the context of our artwork. But what if I told you there's a guide, a map of sorts that can help you apply this artistic wisdom to like, you know, crafting your own artistic career. It's one thing to paint your dreams, but another to live them. And speaking of crafting careers with intention and artistry, let me introduce you to a resource that's been transformative for countless artists out there, the book Artpreneur. This book has been endorsed by Danny Gregory, best-selling author and CEO of the Sketchbook School. Art isn't a gift or a privilege. You know, it's a path you have every right to make your own. In Artpreneur, Miriam will show you how to turn your dream and your passion into a viable, successful career you can pursue with confidence. She knows how. She's done it. And there you have it. If you ever felt lost in the maze of turning your art into a profitable passion, Artpreneur serves as a beacon. It's not just about art. It's about the art of business, the art of living, and the art of creating a life you love filled with success and purpose. So as we explore the artistry of life today, I urge you to consider how you're crafting your artistic career. And remember, guidance is available at your fingertips with Artpreneur, available wherever books are sold. And if you live outside the US, you can order your book through Better World Books for the best deal on international shipping. But I don't have to tell you that there's only so much we can cover within the pages of a 240-page book. Art and the business behind it are vast and intricate subjects. And sometimes we need more time to delve deeper into specific areas. While Artpreneur is a comprehensive resource, it doesn't replace the value of personalized coaching tailored to your unique journey and aspirations. So if you've already read the book and you're a fan of this podcast, consider working with Miriam in one of her coaching programs so that together you can focus on exploring strategies, addressing challenges, and fine-tuning your approach to achieving your income target. To learn more about working with Miriam, Go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z as in biz. And now let's get back to the show. No matter what you're reading, looking at, watching, whether you like this work or not, somewhere in it, there is courage. There is courage that that person mustered to make the work. And there had to also be at least some love of having made it. I don't mean the finished product because nothing's ever perfect, but I mean love during moments of that process of the flow. When you get in it, 
And you're like, wow, where did that come from? And every word you hear on your Spotify song list makes sense in whatever you're doing and you paint it or you write it when all of that is happening. And I want to tell your listeners something else about what Miriam said. She said, you know, you're going to write a shitty first draft and a shitty first book. In other words, finish the damn thing, you big babies. It will never be perfect. Finish the fucker. I'm sorry. Every artist and writer I know is running out the door as the painting is in the truck, going to the gallery with the paintbrush, trying to make it better. Well, it's not going to be perfect. The best is always yet to come. And I always wonder, artists, I can't work. I'm going to be bad. I'm going to be mediocre. And I always say to my students, how difficult can it be to make mediocre work in your studio? I do it every day in my office. And unfortunately, without knowing it, I sometimes publish that. Of course, I think what I'm writing is bulletproof. You, when you turn in your book, Miriam secretly thinks this motherfucker is so great. Look at your low-priced art and wonder, what's wrong with it? When painters price their art too low, people often ask, is that a print? Pricing anything too low will lead prospective customers to question both its value and its authenticity. If people aren't buying from you, you might think it's because your prices are too high. But the problem could be that your prices are too low. We're going to unpack the psychological factors that drive people to pay a premium for goods and services, and you'll discover why it's a mistake to focus on low-cost products and why you might be holding yourself back from asking for higher prices because you believe that cheaper is easier to sell. Spoiler alert, it isn't. The coronavirus pandemic, the rise of Amazon and social activism all created dramatic shifts in the way people shop. In 2021, Amazon, with its free shipping and easy from click to front door service, unseated Walmart as the retail giant. Supply chain issues and inflation further undermined brand loyalty. However, not all buyers are looking for what's cheapest or even what's most popular. A conscious consumer may care more about a company's alignment with their values. Moreover, buyers hit hard by the doldrums of living through the pandemic are less price sensitive and tend to choose items that provide fantasy and escape. That's great news for people who are offering either art or art classes or something like one of you fabulous people out there. Speaking of navigating the delicate dance between creativity and commerce, there's an incredible book out there which addresses this very dichotomy. Let me introduce you to Artpreneur, the guide for every artist who's struggled to make ends meet despite pouring their soul into their creations. The book has been endorsed by Gina Weiber. So many artists have all of the talents but flounder at the business side of selling their art and getting their work out there. Finally. Uh, there is a creative call to arms for the aspiring professional artists. 
Arpener feels like your favorite truth-telling friend who takes you by the hand and says clearly that you can absolutely have success. Arpener shows that talent and money can coexist and the starving artist mindset has no place in your business. Talent and practicality can coexist harmoniously. As artists, our work is a reflection of our soul, but that doesn't mean it can't also be a viable profession. And as we continue today's discussion on creation value and intent, remember that artpreneur can help illuminate your path in the artistic journey. And now let's get back to the inspiration place. The best way to really understand it is to just get in there and start messing around with it. But it's set up conversation style. Okay. So you can type in any question, it will answer and you keep going. So you don't have to build out a complete sentence after you've been going in this conversation. You could just say, now what? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what about point number two? Could you explain point number four again? Or that doesn't really make sense. Could you rephrase it? And it happens like instantly and is really, truly mind-blowing. And when you start to see the use case scenarios of this, that's when it's really like, oh my goodness. People are really craving more tactile type experiences with their art. But I think digital artists maybe should be nervous about that. What do you think? I mean, yeah. Look, the printing press came out. Everyone totally freaked out. But I mean, in terms of art, it was like that was going to destroy storytelling and creativity and all that. If like everybody, you could just mass produce something like people really like there was like a revolt, like, you know, torches in the street and everything. So I just think this stuff always shakes things up. And in the end, it never is like as scary as we thought it was going to be. I do think ChatGPT is as significant as the internet itself. I do think it's that big of a thing. And it's just the surface of what we're going to be able to do in the future. And I think it can be used for good or for evil, obviously. When I was writing my book, I was doing some research. I met this guy named Rick Barker. It turned out he was Taylor Swift's like first manager. He's big in the national scene. And he was with her when she was just up and coming, like before she became who she was. And I'm going to mess up these numbers or whatever. But basically, she said, Mr. Barker, I'd like to sell a million records. And he said, well, then you're going to have to meet a million people face to face. Are you willing to do that? And she was. She would play a show and stay for hours outside and just meet every single person and talk to them. Like you can only go so far on your own. I mean, there's a million proverbs and pithy sayings that say something along those lines, right? You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together, right? Stuff like that. For me, relationships, what's helped me kind of navigate all that is to kind of look at it spatially. But I talk about this a little bit. And it's, of course, the last chapter in the book. So it's the chapter that the least amount of people read, right? (laughs) Uh, But it's like partner up, collaborate across and mentor around. And that I'm a visual person. So that kind of helps me find myself. If I'm looking for a partner up, it's somebody that can really amplify me that probably I've got more to gain than they do. So I've got to bring something unique to the table. I probably can't bring more of what they have. For example, if they have an audience or publicity or, you know, connections, I might not be able to bring something of the equivalent to them. So I've got to get creative, like with what I can bring, right? The collaborator cross is awesome because you just kind of grow with people. 
And the fun thing is when you're friends with growing people, there's only an upside. Everyone's only getting bigger and more accomplished and can be more supportive. There's multiple factors. There's actually mathematical models that they use to talk about perceived value. And let me just clarify this for those of you who don't know what I mean by perceived value. So it's the perception that a consumer has in their mind about the quality of a product, the value of the product as it relates to its usefulness to them. There's full utility metrics and as compared to other things in the market. Now, one of the really interesting things, if you really deep dive, and I will try to keep this as understandable as possible, one of the things that affects perceived value is pricing. It's so fascinating how we play with pricing to override, and this is what I was talking about with my clients yesterday, there's a difference between our perception of something and our evaluation of it. And we have to be really careful as consumers, and I think particularly for those who are socialized as women consumers, how the evaluative process gets hijacked because of the way we price a product, the way that we get certain images to represent or not represent us with regard to a product, or the overemphasis on that you need it to achieve some sort of social status, et cetera, et cetera. So what's so interesting is when we slow it down, we get to ask ourselves as consumers, did the evaluation process get hijacked because they priced it in such a way that suddenly it had this appeal? One of Picasso's first pieces was a menu that he painted for this cafe in Barcelona that he basically did for free, which is, you know, it's always kind of an interesting, challenging thing for artists. He did it on purpose for free. He volunteered to paint the menu, you know, in a lot of places in Europe, they don't have like paper menus. They're on the wall, right? And he paints this menu. And what he's doing very intentionally and very strategically, because he was a master marketer, is he's putting his work on display in front of the public where all of the intellectuals are gathering and they're going to start talking about him. He did the same thing with Gertrude Stein when he moved to Paris. And you see artists market themselves in ways that should be kind of subversive and kind of interesting. And what's so funny to me about creative individuals is they go, I don't want to market. I don't want to sell. I just want to create. And they're incredibly creative with their work and incredibly boring with what they define as marketing. You know, I think marketing for an artist is putting your work in strategic places where more people can find it, talk about it, and therefore you can get more commissions, clients, customers, whatever you want to call them. As we discuss the power of reframing our minds on today's podcast, it's crucial to recognize how this applies in every aspect of our lives, including our creative pursuits. Speaking of transforming our mindset, let's take a moment to explore the Artist Accelerator program a game changer for artists looking to elevate their careers. I have found that the most beneficial has really been what's going on up here and learning things about myself. That was really eye-opening. The self-awareness has definitely grown. I'm impatient by nature. I tend to want to just, okay, show me how, I'll do it. And then rush through it to get results. But I'm finding slowing down has been way more productive and beneficial for me. I think that was a huge takeaway for me with your coaching. It's the slowing down and reflecting. And then having you as a sounding board, 
I don't have artists in my family. I have doctors, nurses, engineers, the, mm-hmm. the typical professions. So being able to speak to someone in a group of artists and like-minded people has been really eye-opening. You also have a very no-nonsense coaching style, which I love. <laughs> I respond to that. I really, really appreciate everything, Miriam. Grace's experience highlights the transformative power of self-awareness and tailored coaching in the arts. Now, let's hear from Isabel about her journey in the program. The group was very, very um, helpful in the way that we could see that we all feel vulnerable, even if we're not doing the same type of art. The substance of what I got from it is that you gave practical tips, you gave practical advice based on your experience and your knowledge. And that's what I was looking for. Like, don't give me BS. For me, the mix of your practical coaching and the experience and evolution of everyone else in the group and, and that I could feel that I was, I was not alone because it's a lonely job to be an artist. Isabel's insights remind us of the importance of community and practical guidance in building her art business. Now, listen as Amy shares her transformation through the program. Because when I first started in this contingent, I like had no clue what I was doing. And you just helped me hone in on it very quickly and just get after it. And I felt like I was all over the place. And now I feel like I'm on track. As you've heard from Grace, Isabel and Amy, the Artist Accelerator program is more than just a business coaching program. It's a journey of self-discovery, practical learning, and community support tailored for artists. If you're ready to take your art and mindset to the next level, apply now for the 2024 Artist Accelerator Program. Visit shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z to start your transformative journey. Remember, the change you're seeking in your art begins with a change in mindset. And now back to the Inspiration Place podcast. The shopkeeper saw I was open to being helped. Actually, I put a hat on and I asked her about it. I said, I just don't think this is quite right for the occasion. And she told me, based on what I was wearing and the hat I had on, that I looked like an American in Israel rather than an Israeli. And then, of course, she immediately apologized for saying that. Israelis in general, their culture is they're very forthright, which actually I appreciate because I'm the type of person, you might know by now, I'm also very forthright. I don't like to second guess what people are thinking. I'm not that great always at reading what people are thinking, feeling, and mean. So I like when they just say what they mean. But she, of course, is used to Americans who maybe don't feel that way, maybe who aren't from New York. But I really appreciated that. I says, okay, I want to look like an Israeli. Help me pick out a hat. So she showed me a few hats. And better yet, she taught me how to wear them. And I ended up buying not just one, but two hats. Now, I have to tell you that I really got used to covering my hair. So I didn't cover all my hair. I just covered kind of the front, the part where all my roots were showing. And I can imagine myself now adding hats to my collection next time I'm traveling. So it might actually take the place of something I collect rather than painting. And by the way, hats are art, don't you think? And here's the other thing I want you to know. I also wanted to capture that experience through the artwork of being 
in Israel during Passover. That's what really made me want to have that art. So let me just finish the story. So the lessons that you can learn. This salesperson made the sale because she helped me. She wasn't being pushy. She was being helpful by talking to me and showing me how to wear a hat. All the prices were clearly labeled on every hat, but she had me focused more on the hat and how the hat looked on me, less on the price. In other words, she focused on the experience. She never said, oh, this hat is cheaper. She never said that. I wasn't focused on the prices at all during the time. I was only focused on how the hat looked on me. So she helped me focus on the experience, not the transaction. She made shopping and ultimately purchasing, buying, easy for me. I stepped Adriana through the whole process and we talked about production. And starting with production, I could already see why she was having so much trouble. I asked her how long was it taking her to create her art? And she said months. I was like, well, is that because of your time constraints? Why is that? And she was just working and working and working. So I knew that was a problem that she was spending too much time on her art. But then the problem became even more acute when I asked her how much she was selling her painting for. Now, she really had only just begun to even think about selling her art. So she didn't actually have sales history. So I said, well, how much do you think you're going to sell it for? She said a lot of people loved her pieces, but she said that she was going to price it for $25,000. And normally I'm always advising artists to raise their prices. This is one of the few times where I had to say to Adriana, listen, that's not an appropriate price for this art. You have to be really way further in your career to be asking that. And what became very obvious to me, but less so to her, was she had attached such a high price around her art because she had a scarcity mindset around her ability to produce it because she had so few pieces. The real fear that held her back was she had so much preciousness that she loved her pieces that she created and she was holding on to them tightly. And the way to get over that is she needed to paint more often, create more, not overwork her paintings and create abundance mindset around the creation of her art, an abundance mindset around the production of her art. And it was really the problems in her thinking about the production that was sabotaging her sales. So with a more regular and consistent painting practice, she would not only get faster with creating her art, but she would learn to create her art with the idea of letting it go. One of the things that I talk about in the book, Artpreneur, is that our thoughts about the world create emotions and our emotional experience is what's going to drive our actions or inhibit our actions which will in turn create our results or sabotage our results. So you have your thoughts that drive your emotions, that drive your actions, that create your results. What happens is that if we have a limiting belief, 
something that is interfering with us getting the result that we want. That's why it's limiting us. We won't get the result we want. So the idea is how do we change our beliefs? And a lot of that has to do with the power of affirmations. Achieving goals is a spiritual and non-conscious exercise. What do I mean by that? When you set a goal, you're using the conscious part of your brain, which is about two to 3% of your brain is your conscious brain. The rest of your brain is the non-conscious part. So you set goals with the conscious part, but you achieve them with the non-conscious part. Who do you think is going to be more successful in their art business? The artist who spends 10 hours creating those videos or the artist who spends 10 hours talking to other humans? The person who spends 10 hours talking to humans. It's that important. Yes. Even if you're shy. Yes. Even if you're an introvert. Yes. Even if doing it makes you feel socially awkward. And let me be clear too, this thought, this idea that you can create content on social media to make you money, you only make money online when your content is so good, it's as if you were there, (laughs) as if you were there in person. That's the only time that you start making money off your content. In the beginning, you don't really understand how to do that yet. So how could you possibly simulate online what happens in person. You don't know how that works yet. You don't know who your ideal art collector is. You don't know what's resonating with them. It's like hitting your head against the wall. Listen, I'm all about having amazing art and heck, even good content too. But it still isn't what makes you money. Selling is what makes you money. It's how you create collectors and creating collectors is where the money comes from literally. Here's what it feels like if you know you're doing it right. It will feel like putting yourself out there naked. It's the real deal. There's no hiding. You expose yourself to rejection when you make offers to sell your art. But that's the way to make money. You just have to get out there and do it. And the more you do it, the easier it will get. But the longer you avoid it, the scarier and more confusing it will be. This is the law of Goya, the law of get off your ass. And it truly makes the difference. It's the difference between the artists who don't get off the ground and who take forever to make money and the artists who are the ones who are willing to not spend all their time making content, but they spend their time getting out there, being visible, meeting people, selling, telling people who they are and what they do, and building relationships. That's the way to make money as an artist as fast as possible. Do whatever you have to do to be able to get yourself out there and just start telling the world, like shouting to the world, who you are and what you do. Yes, your art matters, but nobody knows about it if you don't tell them. I love the practicality. And so one of the ways that we can do this is just really have an awareness practice. And journaling can be such a profound tool for this. Meaning in our business, we have blocks or we have limiting beliefs that can arise, right? And I know your show. I love your show. 
And you provide so many helpful tools to help people overcome these blocks. And they're common, right? So if you're listening, you probably know what they are. Maybe there, it's a fear of being seen. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. Maybe there is a belief around receiving abundance and perhaps being more in scarcity consciousness, right? So these are some of the common blocks that we grow through. And so when we see that arise, like perhaps we have a situation with a client or selling our artwork in the world, and it's not being received quite in the way that we would like it to. We have something that's triggering for us. Like we're not getting the sale that we want. We're not able to really show up and be seen in a way that we really feel like we want to be doing. We can go into that limiting belief. And this is a practical practice to help us unpack some of the areas of resistance and perhaps do a little bit of reparenting and work of finding safety in the nervous system, finding safety and support. And this really goes to our chakra system, right? Our energetic pillar of light, because the root chakra is the first of all chakras. It's that primal base of the spine chakra that helps us to feel deeply safe and supported in the world. And when we don't feel safe and supported, it's really hard to do this thing. We can feel like we're in a state of fight or flight or like there's a tiger chasing us. So the first thing that we want to do really is create the safety so that we're able to move forward with greater grace and ease, whatever it is that we're finding the resistance around. And so that could be with feeling worthy of receiving. That could be feeling safety around being visible and being seen. So that's one of the practical tools that I would really recommend is to go in to that area to do a little excavation, do a little journal writing, and also to do a little bit of reparenting around those areas so that we can feel greater safety. As we delve into the sacred soul and creativity, it's clear how essential personal growth is to our evolution as artists. Let's hear directly from artists who've transformed their lives, art and business through Miriam's coaching programs. Their experiences highlight the profound impact of this journey. There's been so much change within me over this past six months. I would have to sit and really think about, and I, don't, I still don't think I could quantify it all. I'm not the same person that I was when I started. And I'm very, very grateful. I, I can't even express it. It's changed my life. The community is so beautiful. You're so beautiful. So I, I really, really appreciate my time with you. What's Nicolene sharing her heartfelt transformation? The depth of change she experienced, both personally and professionally, underscores the power of the community and support within the program. One of the things that I learned was that to invest in yourself is as important as investing in a ton of new paints or a new easel or a new, you know, piece of equipment. The investment that you make on yourself and on your personal growth will affect the business more than any other thing. Kyra emphasizes a key takeaway, the importance of investing in oneself. It's a reminder that personal and professional growth are intertwined. 
And such investment can profoundly impact an artist's business. I see massive strides of improvement in my work, in my business work, which is really where I was struggling before. And now I feel a lot more comfortable and confident. It's not just an investment in a program. It's an investment in yourself and in the potential for your art business, because your art business is what's going to allow you to grow and go far beyond what you could do sitting in a studio with the little bit of spare time that you can find in your very busy life. This keeps you focused, it keeps you energized, and it keeps you moving. It really is life-changing. And that's Patrick reflecting on his remarkable progress in his artist career. His experience illustrates that coaching isn't just an investment in marketing skills, but an investment in the holistic growth of you as you evolve into a professional artist. Hearing from Nicolene, Kyra, and Patrick, it's evident that these coaching programs are more than just professional development. It's a transformative journey for your art and soul. If you're inspired to join us and embark on this life-changing experience, visit shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z to apply. This is your opportunity to grow not just your revenue, but your entire creative essence. Let's return to the Inspiration Place podcast as we continue exploring the interplay of the sacred creative sides of our soul. Remember that true artistic growth encompasses both our creativity and our inner selves. The next way failure could happen is you bring your heart and soul to attempt 100%, but you only do it once. So this is similar to artists who, well, I tried that. You know, you tried to apply to a gallery and I say, well, how many did you apply to? And maybe it's one or maybe it's two. No, that didn't work for me. So if you quit at this point, you miss the whole point of it because you're only going to get stronger after trying over and over again. So let's talk about the last way, the worthy way to fail. And that's what I'm suggesting you do. You put your heart and soul into your attempts every single time and you're okay with it not working out. One of the ways I tell my clients to do this is to get a hundred no's. And by that, I don't mean you ask a hundred people and all a hundred people say no. What I'm saying is a hundred times you put yourself in the position where somebody's going to say yes or no to you. Asking and not following up doesn't count. No answer is not a no. No answer is just no answer. You have to keep following up until they say yes or until they say no. And you need to be willing to do that at least 100 times. So each time you're learning, you're learning every single time. And it's not that you try once with all your heart and your soul and then the next time you sort of try. No, every single time you go all in. You go all in. because. If you don't, if you go only half-heartedly or you only try it once and then you say, this isn't working, this isn't for me, I know this was too good to be true, I'm not good enough or some version of I'm not good enough, that you have to believe 100% and keep going for it. And as a result, you will learn, you will get stronger. (laughs) 
it's worth noting hoarding is a complex disorder. It's intertwined with deep-seated emotional issues. These rationalizations, they aren't just excuses, but they are deeply held beliefs, limiting beliefs that make it challenging for people to change their behaviors. And I thought it would be so interesting to show you this extreme of these limiting beliefs just to help you work on your own beliefs, your own thoughts that you're thinking that maybe you're having challenges changing. So just as hoarders' homes become cluttered and unlivable, our creative spaces, both our physical ones and our mental ones, can become crowded with the weight of what we refuse to let go. So this scarcity mindset is the very root of starving artist mindset. We believe there's not enough, not enough opportunity, not enough audience, not enough success. So we hoard. We hoard ideas, we hoard supplies, we hoard time. And what's more, by not using ideas, supplies, and time in a meaningful way, we're squandering them. We hoard past artworks, fearing we can't replicate their success. Now here's the kicker. Just as a home filled with clutter does not equate abundance, a mind cluttered with hoarded thoughts doesn't lead to a life of fulfillment. So if you see parallels between hoarding behaviors and your own creative journey, it's time for introspection. Reflect on what you're clinging to and ask yourself why. Are old sketches gathering dust because you're attached to a version of yourself that no longer exists? Is the fear of scarcity holding you back from realizing your full potential? Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. The voice impersonations used in the commercials within this podcast are artistic representations meant to share testimonials, reviews, and endorsements of the book Artpreneur. Please note that these are not the actual voices of the individuals who provided the testimonials. However, all endorsements shared have been provided with permission for public use. We value authenticity and the trust of our listeners, and we ensure that all testimonials presented are genuine and used with consent 